let's get ready for some serious shift. This is a podcast, Shifting Inside Out, hosted by your quantum shifter, Angie McCourt. We are diving into ways to empower and enable a quantum shift. Inspiring topics, hacks, and guest speakers take us on a journey around authenticity, challenging status quo, personal power, and living a purpose-filled life. In this episode, I have a conversation with Rob Giardinelli, and it's really interesting because I've known him for a very long time. I think we were in the same orientation class at Tech Data, and it's really amazing to hear his journey and how he's gone from not only the tech world and into the, the creative world, um, but also just to how his social life has shifted, how he has made decisions in where he wanted to live and used his own timelines and his own terms to live the way he wanted to live. And I just love his story. I love how he is very open about his journey, um, as well as offers tips and some really great guidelines if you're making any kind of shifts um, or you are, you know, finding that you have multiple talents and callings and you're in multiple boxes and and basically how are you um, navigating those and how are, are maybe you aligning those. But the biggest core message here that's really interesting is how many times Rob has reinvented himself while staying true to himself and how he's helping companies reinvent themselves now through his coaching practice. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts as you listen. You can find me on LinkedIn at Angie Belts McCourt, on Instagram at Angie McCourt, or on Twitter at McCourt Angie. So without further ado, let's hear from Rob. Rob, welcome to Shifting Inside Out. I am so grateful to have you on this episode. To get started, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Angie, well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a delight to be here. So I am Rob Giardinelli. I like to refer to myself as a lifelong learner a cultural change agent, and someone who's really fascinated with engaging with others. Oh, I love it. It's beautiful. That is the best intro so far that I've heard from anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, that you've had some great guests, so I feel like I'm in really good company with that. Yes, yes, definitely. I'm so happy to have you on. So just so the audience can get to know you a little bit, I have a few quick round questions for you. Um, so the first one is, what is your morning ritual or routine? So my morning ritual is every morning I go to the gym and I do 45 to 50 minutes on the treadmill at a 30 incline. I burn 1200 calories on an empty stomach first thing in the morning. (laughs) You know, it gives me, it's really become, I know that that sounds tough, but it's really almost become meditative. It allows Mm. me to really kind of focus on what I want to accomplish that day. And it also allows me If someone wants to meet for a cocktail or wants to go to lunch and split a burger, I don't feel guilty about it. Mm, I love it. That's so fantastic. So how do you renew your energy? So for me, renewing my energy is really, I like to actually take time and actually read. Mm -hmm. Um, I like reading. I like a lot of self-help books. I like actually, you know, our topic today is reinvention. I just finished reading Reed Hastings' book about Netflix and the culture of reinvention. Um, so I like to kind of read and learn 
and learning other perspectives really does lift me up and allow me to try new and different things. Yes, yes, I love it. And I love how many people have been putting out what I call teaching memoirs. So mm-hmm. sharing their story, but also providing insight and tips and guidance and stuff. And that's been like probably my guilty pleasure for the past few years is reading <laughs> teaching memoirs. What about you? What is your guilty pleasure? So one thing that gives me joy is watching HGTV renovation shows so Ooh. or House Hunters and things like that. I like the process that people go through to get there. And, you know, you know, with, with my current role, you know, I do a lot of, you know, design stuff um, and we cover a lot of design stuff. So it's always interesting, one, to keep up on trends, but two, to just kind of see what people's personal tastes are. Sure. Yeah. It's a great way to, to stay connected to um, new ideas, too. You know, Absolutely. creativity that's that's becoming um, it's not just recycled. It's original. I love I love finding new new ideas on those shows. So that's fantastic. I love it. Absolutely. There is no such thing as an original idea, in my opinion. <laughs> All right. So um, you had mentioned um, reinvention is one of the topics for our um, episode today. And one of the ways that would be really awesome for you, I think, to share your inspiration, your guidance, um, your, you know, kind of techniques and tips and tricks and anything around reinvention is to share your journey. Because I think people will really resonate with your journey. It's an amazing one. And it's just, you know, cram packed full of lots of life lessons and, you know, risk taking and decision making and all of those fantastic things um, that end up becoming opportunities for reinvention. So why don't you take it away? Well, you know, one of the reasons I'm here today is you were literally the first person I met on my first day as an employee at Tech Data. We were in the same orientation class. So <laughs> that was know, 22 it, years ago. <laughs> I know. Can you believe that? I know it, it's a mil- it's a month of Sundays and then some ago, right? So, yeah. um, you know, so I had worked at um, Tech Data for you know about five years, and I was, you know, we were we kind of had somewhat similar roles back in the day. So um, I was a product manager, so I managed lines in the networking division. Um, And I really liked it. It really challenged me. Um, One thing I really liked about it was I had one product line for a while. I had a major vendor, and this is going to really carbon date myself. But my vendor when I started was Nortel. May it rest in peace. (laughs) Um, um, And, you know, I like that. But I also am someone who likes multiple you know, multiple, doing multiple different things, like doing one thing day in and day out after a period of time, really, it doesn't feed me, it doesn't allow me to be creative. So I eventually was able to transition into managing all the wireless networking vendors. And I'll carbon date myself again. When I initially was doing that product line, people used to have to plug in those big PC cards that would slide into the slot of a laptop to connect to the internet. So it was before, you know, <laughs> chips were embedded in a computer. So it, um, you know, that was actually much more interesting because I got to work with multiple different vendors. It was a different product category. There were different, you know, there were different things that I could do. And it really fed and, you know, fueled me. One thing that was really challenging during my time at Tech Data was I wasn't out at the time. So, you know, when you're, you know, when you're, when you're not your true self, Mm -hmm. um, you tend to hide things and you can sometimes overcompensate for it. Mm -hmm. So for example, I would dress really dowdy and down so that I didn't look gay, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. or I would, um, 
you know, it, or I would just, you know, I would go and do things like sports, which I really never had an interest in just to kind of fit the mold and fit the role. And you've talked mm -hmm. about this in some of your other podcasts, but fitting within the box. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, you know, after, you know, doing it for four, you know, being a tech data for almost five years at that point, I knew that I wanted a change. Mm -hmm. And for me, the change involved, um, you know, asking a really fundamental question. And it's a question that I tend to ask before I make any life change. And it's, am I friends with? And mm. people tend to think of friendships as a person to person thing. But I tend to think of companies as people with personalities, or yeah. I tend to think of cities, especially as people mm. with personalities. Mm -hmm. And I really had to ask myself the question, am I friends with Tampa Bay? Mm -hmm. And friends doesn't mean I hate, I hate you and I don't like you. But, you know, lots of people have friendships on a person to person level where the friendship runs its course. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you're you don't wish them well or anything like that. But it, but it's a question you have to ask yourself. Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know, the last I would say the last 12 to 18 months I was there. The answer to that question was no. You know, I'm friendly with Tampa, but they weren't it wasn't a friendship that was challenging me anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the reason I probably stayed the 12 or 18 months was tech data was still a friend, mm -hmm. you know, but mm -hmm. after, after I had kind of felt like I had done everything I wanted to do, it was, you know, th th there's an adage that I have learned in my current life. And that is to always leave a party while you're still having fun. Ah, yeah. So, yes. you know, I wanted to make <laughs> sure I left, you know, while I was still enjoying my life there. Yeah. So, you know, I had looked and I had looked for probably six to nine months. And I initially thought I was going to move to either the Silicon Valley or Boston. Mm -hmm. And I liked both cities. Boston was an incredibly young city. And I really liked that. And there's a decent amount of tech stuff there, which is where I was at the time. And then obviously Silicon Valley's mm -hmm. Silicon Valley. So, you know, I had been looking at both of those places and trying to relocate. And that was, you know, it was still, there was that tech recession in the early 2000s. So in 2003 and even 2004, it, it was just kind of coming out of that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't getting either the offers or the roles or the things that I was really looking for. And then um, one of my vendors that I was, you know, managing at the time was based in Austin and they mm -hmm. had an opening, an open vendor role. Mm -hmm. So I decided, and I, you know, it, it was really kind of almost the universe kind of speaking and providing. So, yeah. um, the week before my interview, um, there was, and anyone who was in Florida in 2004 knows that there were a zillion hurricanes. That year. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> I had already booked my flight to go when Hurricane Charlie was supposed to hit Tampa, but it yeah. curved, Yes. you know, at the last second. So, um, you know, I had evacuated the higher ground because I lived um, five blocks off of Bayshore Boulevard. So I lived near the water and I was in an evacuation zone. And um, because the hurricane had missed, you know, there was no rain, nothing really happened. You were able to go home at five or six o'clock. So I went home at five or six o'clock and I walked down, you know, from my house to the bay just to kind of get some tranquility. But because the hurricane had just hit just south, it was mud. There was mm -hmm. no water in the bay. And it mm -hmm. scared I remember me. that. It scared the <laughs> hell out of me. And I said to myself, I don't ever want to experience this type of anxiety ever again. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, the following week I got on the plane and, you know, flew out to Austin and I kind of had one of those, anyone here who has listened to Oprah talk about Chicago, where, you know, as I walked up the jet bridge in Austin, I just felt this energy that it was almost like, if I don't, even if I don't get this job, I have to be here. I don't know mm, why, but I, beautiful. Have, yes. I have to be here. So, you know, thankfully, you know, my, you know, the person who hired me was waiting at the escalator and, you know, took me to one of Austin's really cool outdoor spaces and said, you know, this would require you moving. Are you okay with that? And I looked around and I had literally been in Austin 10 minutes and <laughs> said, yeah, I can do this. There, there was just this feeling and I didn't know a single person there. Mm-hmm. You know, I just really took this leap of faith. And, you know, really, you know, the main reason for it was I wanted to come out and be myself and everyone has their own journey and timeline with that. Some people, it, they can, you know, can do it right away. Some people have to do it gradually over time. And I was more in that category. Mm -hmm. So it really allowed me to, you know, you know, really delve into that side of myself and really actually kind of have a personal life Mm -hmm. that was outside of work because what Mm -hmm. had kind of happened with my time at tech day and i love the friends that i made there but the thing was was that my whole social life was built around it yeah so i didn't really have the opportunity to delve into my own social life and really be the person that i was meant to be yeah yeah oh that's amazing yeah and also you know just um back to the the you know, I mean, you were still in, you were in your twenties, right? So just the fact that you were very open, even though you had these other ideas in mind of, you know, Silicon Valley, Boston, it was, I'm going with the flow. I'm open to this and accepting like, wow, this could actually be a really fantastic life here. Um, and being open to, you know, what was calling to you really. Yeah. And Austin really, it spoke to me in a lot of ways. Now, Austin's a very different city now than it was 20 years ago. You know, it is really, you know, it was because I wanted to live downtown and Mm -hmm. there were literally only like four or five buildings where you could. I thankfully was able to find a place in one of them. Um, But it it, it kind of allowed me because, you know, I had a life downtown and most of the people I worked at Buffalo Americas Mm -hmm. at the time they were all kind of in the suburbs. So I, you know, it was one of those, it was like, okay, this is really, cause when I met the people during the interview, I was like, okay, no one lives in town. I'm like, I can really do this and kind mm-hmm. of do it on my own time frame and my own terms. And I don't have mm-hmm. to really worry about running into anybody. Sure. Yes. And yeah. it, it, it really was a freeing and liberating, you know, thing and experience. And that's not to say that, you know, it's funny because after I came out to people, most people were like, yeah, well, we already knew. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. so a lot of it, you know, a lot of it yeah. with that was, you know, realizing that people are much more perceptive, I think, than most people give other people credit for. People True. can actually pick up on things, True. Um, you know, so that it, it, it's really not, you know, it's really not a shock a lot of the time for a lot of things. But, you know, it really allowed me to kind of have that separate social life from a professional life that I had always been, you know, that I really was lacking when I was in Tampa and I had kind of had, I I had a great community, but it was a very safe community. Like, and it was a bubble and I knew I kind of had to pierce the bubble Mm -hmm. to get to the next level of where I wanted to be. Yeah. So you really had like a clean slate, if you want to put it that way. Right. So, you know, think about, the whole concept of reinvention. I am, you know, moving to a place where I don't know anyone. Nobody knows me. 
I have these, you know, intentions of I want to, you know, be myself. I want to just start living the life that who I am and, and how I want to live. So what was that process like for you of, I mean, it must have been like, oh my gosh, clean slate. I can, I can do be whoever and whatever I want and, and be here and be safe in this place. But how was that process for you? Well, I do have an adage that wherever you go, there you are. So mm. you are still you yes. at your core. Yes. You're just in you're just in different surroundings. So, you know, for me, whenever I go into any space, I really like to, you know, and you've talked about the an introverted extrovert, which is, you know, I've been using that term for quite a while to describe myself. I like being with things, but I don't need to be the center of it all. Mm-hmm. I just like I like being a part of it and just being around the energy of others. Yeah. And, you know, in researching Austin, I realized that Austin's a very philanthropic city. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, you know, I knew that if I wanted to make friends and meet people, I was going to have to get involved in things. So it's, you know, so it was like, okay, so I'll, you know, join. So I joined two or three different organizations and built and made a friend network that way. Right. It was also before apps. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could go to happy hour and you would run into a ton of people. So mm-hmm. it allowed for... You know, you know, it, it really allowed me to, you know, look and do a couple of different things. One was get involved, but two was also to have fun. And a lot of, you know, philanthropic stuff and committee work is fun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, meshing those two things, you know, allowed me to really have fun in different ways that I had never really had fun before. Right, right. Well, and also you were doing good, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that always feels good. And then now... It, you know, I, I know the journey. So, I mean, that was an opening. That was a door opener for you as well. Like when I when I think about that point in your journey, you making the decision to join organizations, to give back, to do, to be part of the philanthropic community, that was an opening to a future part of your life as well, right? Yeah, it, it was. And it's led me to where I am today, although I had to get through, you know, go through a couple of different things, you know, to kind sure. of get to that, you know, to get to that point, you know, and I'll, I'll delve into that in a little bit. But, you know, it, you know, I had a before I met my husband, who I, you know, work with the magazine on, I had a partner for several years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, um, I had I had done a couple of account manager jobs. And then um, Seagate had reached out to me about a product manager role that was going to require me to move to Mm -hmm. San Francisco. Mm. So, you know, I talked it over with him and he was a, you know, he was an accountant, but he was much more passionate about food. And I was like, look, we can do this. You can go pursue this and we'll do this. So we, you know, we decided that, you know, we'll go and we'll take it. Um, And what happened was, you know, about four weeks after I started, um, he, he had some issues with alcohol and Mm -hmm. unbeknownst to me, because he had closet Mm -hmm. drank and, he came down with cirrhosis. So mm-hmm. I had started this brand new job where I was supposed to move. Mm-hmm. They had put me in this temporary corporate apartment, but I basically had to go because he was basically, he went in the hospital and never came out. Mm-hmm. So basically I had to, you know, basically come back. And, you know, that was in 2009 when no one's house sold, but we had put our house in the market and it was already in escrow. So I couldn't go back. So a lot of it was having to kind of go back and forth. Mm-hmm. between the two cities. And when I would stay there, sometimes I have to stay at the hospital a lot because I didn't have a house. Mm-hmm. And then some people would have to pull me out and basically say, um, you know, spend the night here. We'll go somewhere. You just need some time alone. So mm-hmm. it, you know, that experience really taught me the kindness of the Austin community. Yeah. And, you know, when he passed away, 
you know, I went back to Seagate and said, you know, my time here is not up. Mm-hmm. You know, I need, I need yeah. to find a way to stay here. And thankfully I had really kind management that basically rejiggered the role. Mm. And I kind of became more of a sales trainer and a sales coach for the line I was going to be product managing. Mm-hmm. So it allowed me kind of to have kind of my foot in sales, which I didn't mind sales, but I knew it wasn't something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. But it allowed me to kind of still do it, mm-hmm. but kind of do the things where I could see people progress, understand the products better and, and all that type of stuff that go, you know, that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it allowed me, you know, it was also a global role. So it allowed me, it just allowed for all these different types of things to allow me to kind of grow professionally in, you know, in a, you know, in a really unique way. And, you know, about a year after I met, um, after he, Robert had passed away, I met my husband, Lance at a Halloween party. And he had a very different background from anyone really I had ever known. So he was just about to start his second luxury lifestyle magazine for the state of Texas, which, you know, was covering and chronicling galas. It was fashion. It was style. And I was this person. I was never known for fashion or style. And a lot of that had to do, especially at Tech Data, with my own insecurities. Like mm-hmm. I had a coworker who used to joke that I wore khakis with with white with white tube socks because I just <laughs> it was my way of kind of being yeah. dowdy and not being out, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But this kind of allowed me to really just kind of open the floodgates and just be, you know, learn kind of who I was. Yeah, it, you know it. You know through through my clothes because I believe clothing. In, and style is something that conveys self-confidence. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. If, if you're comfortable in your own skin and you wear clothes that make you look intelligent or make you look successful or make you look, you know, fashionable, what, whatever, whatever term or whatever thing it is you want it to be, people will treat you with a lot more respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that must have been a fun journey too, just to experiment and and to, you know, really kind of decide, you know, what is it that I feel, you know, in my own skin in? And yeah, it, it is. And, you know, it was interesting because when I first got together with him, none of my friends, they were all like, what is this? Like, <laughs> so basically I was kind of reinventing myself without okay. even realizing I was reinventing myself. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. that's kind of the fun thing about reinvention sometimes is sometimes it's deliberate and it's mm-hmm. intentional. Like, you know, are you friends with? Mm-hmm. Like I had talked about earlier and other times it just pops up and you're like, well, there's, there's this whole other side of you that you want to explore. And, you yeah. know, it had been, you know, I had been fully out for several, several years. So it wasn't, that wasn't a thing anymore. It was like, okay, this is kind of the next step of, mm-hmm. you know, what I've kind of got to learn about myself. And, yeah. you know, about a year into our relationship, he asked me, you know, would you like to would you like to contribute as a writer? You know, you've been going with me to these events for about a year now. Do you just want to write and chronicle them? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, sure. I, you know, you know, what does that entail? So, you know, he explained, you know, you got to work with the or- nonprofit organizations, collect the photos, write copy, get captions, all that fun stuff. And it was a really good creative outlet from technology, which technology is great. And it's a lot of things, but one thing, especially when you're in a corporate tech environment, it's not super creative. Mm -hmm. So it really allowed for me to kind of do a creative outlet. And also it it really developed self-confidence in me because I was the kid in high school who never got invited to any party Mm. ever, ever, ever. And here I am going to all these things 
that are pretty exclusive. So it was yeah. really kind of this, even though I, my background was nothing like that, here I am at these things that most people would, you know, die to go to. And, you know, it, 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 it taught me a lot and it took, it probably took three or four years for me to even really f- feel like I belong there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it mm-hmm. wasn't a because I'm going to galas that are raising a million dollars and a lot of people have a lot of wealth. It was really much more about working through. I was never invited or included to stuff in high school or college. And when I did have some, you know, friends, it was really within the ecosystem of a, you know, of like a tech data network where, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of in an ecosystem and you have your friends and all that. And it's kind of built in and ready made for you. This yeah. really challenged me in all kinds of different ways to, you know, realize my worth and my value. And, you know, one of those ways, this is going to sound, this may sound a little random, but, you know, it, it really helped with my confidence was Lance made me do put at least one photo of us in each issue. And I hated taking my photo because I always thought I took awful photos. <laughs> but, you know, after a while, when you get the photos, you know, because, you, you know, if you get 50, you can only pick 20. Mm-hmm. So I had to ask, would I objectively put this photo of me in here based mm-hmm. on what I'm wearing, how I look, my smile and all that stuff? And I realized after a while, I'm saying yes, I, you know, this is a good photo of me or this is a good photo of yeah. me or whatever it is. It, But it took... It, it took time and effort. Yeah. And I think, you know, the thing with reinvention is reinvention doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. It happens over time. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's not a reinvention's not flipping a switch yeah. and it, it realizing that and having the patience to realize that. And I think that's where, when people reinvent themselves where sometimes they fail is they, they lack the patience to kind of go through the seasons and go through the motions and go through the journey and the steps Mm -hmm. to get you there, you know, because you've got to, you've got to pay you. you, Anyone who gets successful has to in some way pay their dues. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because a few of the examples that you gave that things you had to overcome, you know, when you reinvent like your beliefs, your limiting beliefs are the things that a lot of times you have to overcome release um, challenge, you know, the truth of, um, and, and a lot of that is carried over from childhood. A lot of that's carried over from, you know, experience, from observation, from things that have been said to us, you know, oh, you'll never hang out with millionaires. You know, I mean, it's just like, there's no ill intention around saying that to a a younger person, but that, that right there would keep them out of that setting. Right. So, and, and that goes for them for the rest of their life until they challenge it. So, you know, not only are you trying to, um, from a reinvention perspective, reinvent the external, you mm-hmm. know, um, how you show up, but your internal, because that has to support the external, because otherwise you still, you lose your authenticity, you lose your true self with it. And, and you still are your true self, but you're challenging any limitations or beliefs or, or things that don't necessarily align with where you want to go. And I agree with you on the time frame, like that it is, it is, it is a flow and it's maybe not linear. Did you ever find oh, that? It's, it's never linear. Yeah. It's never linear. <laughs> <laughs> no way that's linear. No, it, there's always, you know, 
you know, getting up and falling down mm-hmm. and, you know, but that, that creates, you know, that creates the resilience. Yes. Yeah. It, in doing that. And, you know, after a while, you know, and I had done that, basically I was, I had kind of gotten to a point where I knew I was burning out mm. and that's kind of where, you know, so basically I had a, basically a five-year window where I was getting on a plane and going somewhere three days a week. Mm-hmm. to train, to visit accounts, whatever it was with Seagate. Then I would have to come home and on the weekends, I would have to throw on a tux or a suit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'd have to drive to Houston, Dallas, or San Antonio. So not only am I coming back home, but I'm traveling again, or I'm having to stay there. Mm-hmm. And I, what people don't realize when you're, when you're a guest at a party and you're covering it, mm-hmm. you have to be on. So mm-hmm. it's so base. It's a second <laughs> job, and I don't think people realize. People are like, "Oh, you go to a party and it's fun." And the thing is, is that when you're there and you're the social editor, you have to pay attention to every single thing that's going on around you. And someone had asked me once, you know, what are what are the three things that make you know a successful social columnist? And I said basically that you have to have an eagle eye, the discretion mm-hmm. of a diplomat, and ears like Scooby Doo. <laughs> so you know, it basically there are three things that you have to do, and to do all three of those things is really taxing, yeah. especially if you are on planes mm-hmm. and plane, you know, pl- air travel is exhausting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in the central time zone, which is great, but you still do have a one or two hour time difference a lot of the time when you do travel mm-hmm. that you have to kind of deal with and combat when you get back. And I knew, you know, I knew probably about six months before I left Seagate that it wasn't sustainable anymore. And, you know, once, you know, the event started again, like in the fall of 2015, you know, right in early September, I was basically just like, okay, you know what, I've got to, I've just got to go and, you know, pursue this and I'll figure out whatever the next step is. But I can't, Mm -hmm. I was just like, I can't do another, not, you know, the next nine months because most of the social stuff, you know, in Texas happens from September to May. Mm -hmm. I just knew I couldn't Mm -hmm. do that again. Like I just knew that, that would have, that would have killed me. But so, that you enjoyed that, but yeah. you, you obviously you were, you were kind of at, at that point making the decision of, I'm not really enjoying this tech thing, but I really am enjoying this, the creative, you know, um, outlet and, and role that you were now also building a lot of confidence around. You became yeah. that social columnist. Yeah. You had never intended that probably years before. Oh God. Yeah. I didn't even know what one was. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, and I kind of realized, you know, I, I know the next opportunity will come Yeah. and, you know, you know, it, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you the first two months I slept until nine 30 or 10 o'clock every day. Like I didn't <laughs> yeah, I realize bet. how much, you know, a decade of travel yes. wore out my body, mm-hmm. but that's kind of really when I started listening to my body. And that's kind of when I started the morning ritual of the 30 incline every day on the mm-hmm. treadmill that's was amazing. I needed <laughs> It just, it, it gave me focus, it gave me energy, it gave me direction, and it gave me all these things. So yeah. it, you know, j- just realizing, a, you know, realizing and listening to your body, sometimes you just have to do that. And that's kind of, yeah. you know, for me, why I knew that that was kind of the expiration date, you know, with, with tech. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a couple of years later, um, my husband was ready to start, you know, Lance was ready to start a third magazine. Mm. So at that point I came in from, you know, and came in and was, you know, part of the, you know, the executive team and, you know, became the associate publisher and the COO. So what I was really able to do, and, and the thing about reinvention is, you know, like you talk about, you know, the box and fitting within the box, mm-hmm. it was a completely different box, but 
there were contents from your previous box that you can put in the new box. Mm -hmm. You may have discarded that ratty old box, but you mm -hmm. didn't nece necessarily discard mm -hmm. all the items that were in there. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where, you know, and really this role was full circle professionally in many ways. And one is I really got to use a lot of the skills I had learned 20 years ago at Tech Data Mm. all over again. Yes. Because, you know, I, I always say the best first job in the world is being a distribution product manager because mm -hmm. you get to be a customer, you get to be a vendor, you get to see the sales side, you get to see the back off, you get to really see how an entire business operates. Absolutely. And, you know, you carry those skills with you in all those other ways. So mm -hmm. it, it's funny that I'm using my skills at Tech Data probably more in this role than I did in any of my vendor sales roles. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Well, and it's so true. And I don't, I don't think people realize like what a training they get in mm -hmm. that environment. It's very fast paced. You have to, you have to know, and survival is based on prioritization and communication. And, you know, those, those skills um, in a very slower paced environment where you don't have a lot of pressures or, or um, accountability for results, like, you don't learn as much. Like you have to learn in that environment. And I found the same thing when I started not just this business, but previous business six years ago was I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm using skills that I learned in the tech industry for yep. an Etsy shop online and now for a coaching business because you're exposed to so much and not just exposed from a, a distance, like you're part of in, yeah. in a lot of ways because they're so intermingled inside of the, the um, companies. But um, yeah, it's so amazing that you say that because I think a lot of times um, we think, oh, well, I don't do that title or that job anymore, so I won't need those skills anymore. But in reality, they're still part of you. They're still part of your toolbox. And there's still something that you can pull from and that you know and that you've learned that you can use in a future in a future role or future job or creating your own job, you know, whatever it is or company. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, and basically taking in what you have and, you know, it's, and you know, this is, you know, kind of being self-employed, you kind of get to do all the things that you want to do and you mm -hmm. can have multiple different, you know, multiple different things. I remember I went to one, a breakfast once with one of our, one of my former editors and in Austin in particular, you know, this was a digital marketing person that was, you know, an editor and, you know, did this as a side hustle. And, you know, we were talking about that and he was bringing up other friends of his that did side hustles. And I was like, what percent of people in digital marketing in Austin have side hustles? He's like 95. Uh-huh. Like everyone had one. I was like, okay, I'm in a city where boxes don't, I don't want to say boxes don't exist, but you can have multiple boxes mm -hmm. and no one, no one cares. And in fact, it's not that no one doesn't care. It's often celebrated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, once the pandemic hit and, you know, we had a really successful first year of the magazine before the pandemic hit, um, you know, what I realized was 60% of my job was going to events. Mm -hmm. And with all that free time, it was like, okay, you know, there, there was only so much streamlining of business practices, which I was really able to do and get them really streamlined in a way that, you know, when you're starting a business in the first year, you can't. So after mm -hmm. I did that, it was like, okay, well, what do I do now? And what I had started doing was, and I had gotten a certified professional coaching license through, through IPEC back in like 2016 or 17. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I wanted to start coaching mm -hmm. businesses and nonprofits on how they need to pitch themselves mm -hmm. because the pandemic really, and I saw it in my own community first, just based on 
you know, being on the e-blast of all the nonprofits and stuff that a lot of their services and priorities were changing. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it was, okay, I want to work with organizations, but I, I, I gave myself only one rule and it was a tough rule, but I did it anyway. And mm-hmm. that was, I did not want to work with anyone in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, is because, you know, I've been spending a decade running around all four cities. Mm-hmm. And again, all four of those cities are people. What you can do in Austin, you could never get away with in Houston and vice versa, as, as an example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really wanted to gain, one, my knowledge, because Texas in particular is known for high-level philanthropy. So mm-hmm. I knew I could easily brand myself as an expert. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, in t- determining, you know, the things that make made myself unique, it was, you know, it was my background in tech data with Mm -hmm. and and Seagate with sales and coaching and training. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, with the events that I have chronicled for the years, they're all short form writing. So they're Mm -hmm. all 250 words or less of copy. That's tough to do. (laughs) Yeah. Which is tough to do when you've got to talk about the setting, the style and the, and the cause all in 250 words. You've got to cram a lot in there in a few words. So you've got to really make, you know, you've really got to make, you know, you know, every single word count. And third, and it's an intangible, is is that I got to go to galas for a decade. I, you know, just the ones that I've written about alone have raised $250 million. So I've probably been to galas (laughs) that have raised about half a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that stuff is raised through a live auction. Mm -hmm. So not Mm -hmm. everyone gets to go into a room and see how the CEO or a philanthropist or a venture capitalist investor what motivates them to say yes to a live auction item? Because when you're at a live auction, the the live auctioneers, because it, it tends to be the same limited group of people that do them, mm-hmm. they know who they are because a lot of these people will go to multiple events. Mm-hmm. So you really get to see and learn. And that's kind of where being an introverted extrovert really mm-hmm. comes in handy. You get to see and understand what makes those people tick mm-hmm. to get them to bid $5,000 more on an item. Mm-hmm. and it's just a really interesting perspective that I know most people don't have. So really kind yeah. of taking those three things and fusing it together, mm-hmm. that's kind of where the idea of, okay, I'm going to work with these organizations and, you know, do elevator pitch coaching. Yeah. And, you know, it, I really enjoyed it. You know, one, I'm a learner. So I got mm-hmm. to learn about what different organizations were about, but I also got to learn what different geographies were dealing with and their challenges were. Uh-huh. And in, in a lot of cases, they were universal because COVID in some ways it was universal and it was universal in nearly every organization I worked with had a shift of services in some way, mm-hmm. meaning something that was really not a major service in 2019 became a major service yes. in 2020 and something that was major in 2019 was not as major in 2020. And, you know, now that, you know, organizations, and this is nonprofit and Mm for-profit, now that they're coming out of COVID, they've got to kind of figure out, well, which of these two, you know, which which of these two things can exist, should exist, how do they exist together? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where, you know, the idea of elevator pitch coaching kind of came in for me is so that people can craft a narrative. And, you know, in in a way, these organizations are, they had to re- they had to almost traumatically reinvent yeah. themselves in 2020. Yeah. Now there's a little bit more space where they can kind of be like, okay, here's, 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 here's the damage. And we'll mm-hmm. call it, you know, a tropical storm, not, mm-hmm. not a category five hurricane. You know, things are 
probably not where they all need to be. Things are kind of scattered throughout the yard and I need to clean it up, but it's not this overwhelming insurmountable thing. Mm-hmm. People think that it's a category five hurricane, mm-hmm. but it's really not. They have mm-hmm. the tools and they have the knowledge. And that's the beauty of coaching is you just coax those things out of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, working with, you know, working with those organizations to really come up with a narrative that sounds both like the individual and sounds like the organization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing is, especially on the investment and philanthropy side is the stock market has done quite well. Mm-hmm. So there is from an investment perspective and from a philanthropic perspective, there is more money out there now than there was three mm-hmm. years ago. And yes. how do you differentiate yourself? Like I did with my three things, you know, what are the two or three things, you know, for anyone looking to reinvent themselves here, ask yourself, what makes you unique? Mm-hmm. And it's going to require a deep dive because most people I know when they say that, they just sit, their jaws drop because they don't think they're interesting. And mm. everyone's interesting. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter yes. the job that you have or your place in the role in the world, you know, or anything. Everyone's got something interesting and compelling about them that makes them unique. Absolutely. It's finding and understanding what those things are yeah. and then conveying them in a in a cohesive way. Yeah. I think um even more than just, I, I look at the reinvention opportunity also as a really big one for connection, mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of companies got into this mode of here's what we're delivering, but they had lost the connection with their customer. Mm-hmm. They lost the connection with what the customer was needing. They lost the connection with engaging with them, right? So everybody's moving to automation, AI, bots, blah, 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 right? And, you know, that's just one aspect of it. Um, but also it's, um, you know, what does the customer really want? Because by the way, their needs and their wants and their lives have have changed, And some may not have been for the better, but some are for the better. And they're reinventing in a way that they want to actually live their life. But that means they want different things and they need different things than they used to. So that is a whole other context of, of, you know, the reinvention that companies have the opportunity to do as well is so important is that connection back to their customer, because that's how they will differentiate themselves. Because the customers are going to demand more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely will. And it, you know, it's part of, and not only customers, but it's also employees Yes, and employee absolutely. retention as yes. well. You know, it's the great resignation is happening because mm-hmm. people are not, you know, a lot of that's happening because someone is not listening and yes. dots are not being connected. And yep. really, you know, those that are those that are successful in regards of any type of work that they do mm-hmm. are able to f- effectively connect the dots. Absolutely. You know, and, and, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say effectively connecting the dots whether you're a customer, whether you're a vendor, whether you're an employee, whatever it is, mm-hmm. just connecting those dots between whoever the two endpoints are on a relationship are extremely yeah. important. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I look at um, the great resignation, I kind of look at it as the great opening and it's an opener for people to grow, seek new opportunities, expand, take the risk that maybe they have been hesitant to take um, and make a shift that they've been hesitant to take or make um, because, you know, before it was the routine, it was the safety and security of the job. It was, I've been here a long time. I'm just going to wait it out. Now they're challenging prosperity aligned values. 
So if I'm making my money with a company that does no, no longer aligns to my values, I don't feel good about that. So it's not even just disengagement because leadership hasn't evolved enough to the times that people and employees are needing their leaders to show up. Um, to be able to navigate the unpredictable, the uncertain, you know, world and, and how do we bring new skills into that leadership role? But they're also disconnected from th this company isn't my friend anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> That's exactly so, it. Yeah. This is a great opportunity for you to come in and, and from an elevator pitch perspective with, with companies and nonprofits is it isn't just about what you can can you know do for that service for that offering for that product it's also that connection in a way that is aligned to people's values is in a way that's aligned to what they believe what their purpose is to meaning because that's what people are really seeking yeah they really are and you know the the one thing you know it the one thing you know that organizations are struggling with is they want the th a lot of organizations want the through line that they had in 2019 to reapply yeah. Yeah. And the through line has to change. Mm -hmm. It has. And you, you're seeing that with, you know, I, I read an article in the New York Times just a couple of days ago about how difficult it is for people and tech recruiters in particular to find employees, mm -hmm. you know, and ones that want people on site every day. Mm -hmm. That's Forget for it. most people, that's just <laughs> not going to happen anymore. Yep. And, you know, it, it, it's becoming one with that and, you know, trying to find the evolution with that. And I believe you, I've taken pro, a, a pro side change management class and I believe you have as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, the change, you know, that's more the people side of change, but you know, companies can be people in, in the fact of they're a culture, just yeah. like, you know, a person is a part of a culture, you know, the United States can be a person as yeah. an example, because Absolutely. there is a culture within the United States of America. Yes. And it's just, it's working to try to figure those things out and figure mm -hmm. them out in a way that you can still be true to yourself, mm -hmm. but that you can also adapt and grow. Mm -hmm. And th that's it, it, what's going to be really interesting is five years from now, what companies are going to look like, what people's work days are going to look like. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the weird thing is, is that you're seeing companies still buy or lease office space. Yeah. <laughs> but it feels you know, like one of them, like, like there, there's a major company here in Austin that basically rented, like, it's going to be one of the tallest high rises in the city. And they rented all the office space. It's going to be like half residential, half commercial. Wow. And this is a company where they've said, you know, you can work from home at least in a hybrid role. And, you know, they're doing it because they can. Mm -hmm. And that's going to kind of be the next reckoning is, should you be doing stuff because you can or because you should? Right. And, and it'll be interesting to see five years from now how that evolves and how that works out with a lot of organizations. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's really interesting too, because that's where your point about the employees have a voice and they have a stronger voice and their voice will be in turnover and their voice will be in, and, you know, not as back, back to less productive, honestly, mm -hmm. because I guarantee it, if somebody were to actually do a study on, you know, did we find more productivity, even with parents having children at home that they're having to stop every now and then and, and work on, you know, homework with them or classwork with them because they're doing digital learning. I guarantee it. Those parents were still much more productive than being in an office setting. Absolutely. I guarantee it. 
I yeah. guarantee it. But nobody's done that study yet that I know of. But it would be great if they did because I think, you know, I mean, everybody's pushing the hybrid role. Everybody's pushing that. Well, let's let's just try to cooperate. Let's just try to, you know, give everybody a little bit of something. But I really feel like the employees have a much stronger voice in this. I feel like they have more power in this and in, 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 in how they want to work. And they if do. they don't want to yeah. go in an office, then don't force them into an office if they don't need to. Yeah. And I've worked from home since 2005 or six. So, mm -hmm. you know, like the, the prospect of me going into an office, like even like when I um, would, you know, when I worked at Seagate and I would have to go, you know, go in, it was just, it was interesting because I always felt less productive yeah. in an office than yeah. I did at home. And it was just like, okay, it's just because people find you, they interrupt you, you know, yeah. it just becomes this whole thing. And there are way it, more distractions in an office setting. I'm sorry, even with your door closed, <laughs> there are way more distractions than going and putting a load of laundry in your washer. If that's your issue with your employee being from home, working from home. Well, right? and that's the what funny, some people still actually have that mentality. Well, and the funny thing is, is that that's usually done on a call. Like if you're on yeah. like a team conference call, you're throwing that in when the other team, when another member of your team's talking and it's you kind of have to sort of listen kind of like, you know, like when the TV's on background for yes. background noise or the radio's on, <laughs> it, it's kind of like in that, in that realm and that, in that setting, but it's, yeah. you know, it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how, what the next step is for organizations mm -hmm. as they work to evolve themselves out of this. And, mm -hmm. you know, I just hope that, you know, I can help them yes. kind of realize who they are and that they're able to articulate things that sound like the organization, but they also sound like the people yes. person or people conveying them. Yes. Oh, it's beautiful. What a great way to, to land and end this episode. I appreciate that. Um, that was really insightful and I definitely want to make sure I include, um, any information contact wise website and any information that we can in the show notes. Um, so we'll go ahead and do that for your business so people can get in touch with you. Oh, I really appreciate that, Angie. It's been a real delight yeah. being on here. Yeah, very good. I'm excited to have you. Um, so Rob, and now going back, you know, 22 plus years ago to our orientation day. <laughs> so Rob, why don't you, why don't you give us a few um, ideas or tips or, or um, recommendations that you might have for um, companies, books, um, nonprofit organizations, products, anything that you'd like to share that I can include in the show notes? So what I would say, you know, not, you know, giving is more than just, and I see this a lot online, giving is about you, mm -hmm. not the company. So just mm -hmm. because your company does a nonprofit thing, yeah, find something that you're passionate about outside of work yes, and work with that organization. Mm -hmm. You know, it, yeah. it, it's really important to do that. And yes. the another thing that I would say is with with any pitch or with any group that you work with and engage with, the most important, and this is really kind of my through line and tenet in terms of a phrase, and that is know your room mm -hmm. and know who your audience is, what you need to be talking about, why you need to be talking about that and understanding who, you know, understanding what to say and even more importantly, what not to say. Mm, love it. Yes. You know, that's whether beautiful. that's a person, place or thing. Just, yeah. you know, yeah. be, be smart with that. And I've seen lots yeah. of, de you know, lots of things go sideways Yeah, because someone just brings up the wrong thing because they didn't do their homework and their research. Yes. That's such a, that's such a great recommendation and tool and, and trick and tip. And we haven't had one of those for a while. So thank you for that. 
<laughs> I try my best. So Rob, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a such a pleasure to have you on. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your busy day to to join us and share your story. Angie, it's been a delight. And you know, um, you know, I look forward to hopefully maybe one day being on again.